What do we want to talk about here this morning is one of the chief achievements of the cross, and that is justification. Everybody say justification. justification. One Saturday afternoon, I was kind of finishing up my sermon prep in uh, my house uh, in our previous home, and my daughter was about three and a half years old, and I'm sitting there at the table working out some things, and, and she, she asked me, Daddy, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing some sermon prep. She says, what's that? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to be teaching on justification. Can you say justification? She goes, justification. And I said, do you know what that means? She said, yeah, I sure do. In the summer, we went on justification. <laughs> justification is not what you do during the summer, as cute as a three-and-a-half-year-old saying it was. Justification is the process, is the declarative act that God pronounces over his people on the basis of their faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. Justification is being declared righteous before God, being declared right with him and in accord with what he has said. Uh, today we're going to see two truths about uh, justification as we work our way through Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 31. And these two truths should fuel our boasting in the Lord. So, uh, with that, let's pray before we begin our study in Romans chapter 3. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking and praising you for the work that you have done for us on the cross. We boast in you this morning, knowing that you have accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. God, I pray for the people who are in this room, in this sanctuary, who are weighed down by guilt this morning, who are carrying it with them because of things that they've done or, or, or because of feelings that they have about themselves. God, I pray with the power of your spirit that, that today you might unpack your word into the souls of these people here so that they would see that their guilt can be erased through the justification that comes on the cross. And God, I, I pray that your achievement on the cross would be calling many people to yourself here this morning to see that they are loved and forgiven and freed, and most importantly for today's message, that they are innocent before you because of what Christ has accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Feeling guilty is a, is a really weird thing these days. Like, if you just take a, a, a real brief Google search about what do Americans feel guilty about, those link to you a number of studies about guilt. Uh, like one I found, uh, a recent poll of 2,000 Americans uh, conducted, conducted about their spending habits, and it found that 47% of people feel guilty about their spending habits with how much they decide to eat out. 46% feel guilty about purchasing clothes. And we see that about, never mind, Lord, we'll stop there. 46% feel guilty about purchasing clothes. You know, there's sometimes when I'm preaching that a joke comes to mind, 
and I'm thinking this is going to be hilarious, but the Holy Spirit's like, stop it right there, Carl. This thing goes on the internet. Stop it right there. Sierra Bible Church is going to end up in RGJ. 46% feel guilty about purchasing clothes. 35% feel guilty about purchasing shoes. Uh, another survey uh, of 2,000 uh, Americans said that 62% of Americans feel guilty when they take time for themselves to care for themselves, so to eat healthy and to exercise right. It says 62% of Americans say they don't do that because they feel guilty when they take care of themselves. And another survey found that one-third of people, one-third of Americans, nearly one in three, feel guilty about what they eat. So they don't like, so they go to the fast food joint and they eat what they probably shouldn't eat, but then they feel guilty about it afterwards. One in three Americans feel guilty about what they eat. Now I share these recent surveys, some of you are shaking, I don't feel guilty about what I eat at all. <laughs> we are the 66%. <laughs> Uh, I share these surveys about American guilt uh, because I want to highlight a growing trend in the collective consciousness. I don't think that most Americans walk around with this weighted burden of feeling guilty before God. I don't think most people are, are walking around thinking, you know what, I am a sinner and I am guilty before the Almighty God. But just because that's not top of mind in people's heart, mind, or soul, it doesn't mean that guilt has been erased. It's just been displaced. So we don't perhaps feel guilty about our position or our status before God, but we sure do feel guilty about how we spend our money. We sure do feel guilty about what we put into our bodies, and we sure do feel guilty about the way we spend our time. So we've replaced the fact that we're uh, we've replaced a consciousness towards feeling guilty before God with, with just a consciousness of general guilt of, you know what, I'm not living up to the standards that I have set for myself. The health standards that I've set for myself, I feel guilty. The budgetary standards that I've set for myself, I, I haven't maintained and I feel guilty. It doesn't matter if we displace the feelings of guilt before God, they will show up in other areas. We cannot simply erase this nagging insecurity within our soul that, we, that things are not right and that we, as a people, are guilty. And today, just as the days in which the Bible was written, people seek to assuage their guilt, get rid of their guilt in the same way today as they did when the days in the Bible were written. So today, if you feel guilty about the way that you eat, how do you feel that you need to justify yourself? You justify yourself by your works, right? Okay, I feel guilty about the way I eat. This next week, I'm going to do double better. I'm going to eat only salads. I'm going to eat only chicken. I feel terrible about the way that, I, the way that, I've, eat, the, the way that I've eaten. I've got this nagging guilt. I am going to justify my, uh, my health by attaining it through my works. I feel terrible about the way that I'm spending money. I feel horrible about overspending on eating out and overspending on shoes and overspending on clothes and overspending on golf clubs. Not just picking on shoes and clothes, you know, equal opportunity picking on. 
I feel terrible about this. So this next week, I am going to stay within my budget. I am going to justify myself by my works. We know that this is the way that the world works. We know that if we're guilty, we try to make up for it by obeying the laws of the standards that we've put, set for ourselves. Throughout the entire scriptures, this is the way that people have tried to justify themselves before God. This is the way that people have tried to make themselves righteous before God by saying, okay, I, I know I messed up, I know God has declared what I have done or how I'm feeling as, I know I've declared myself as guilty, he has declared me as guilty, so I need to work it off. I need to justify myself by my works. I need to justify myself by my obedience. All throughout scriptures, this is the way that human beings have operated before God. And God has set up the world in such a way that we think and we feel that this is the way it should be and that this is the way we should justify ourselves. However, the longer we pursue this path of trying to justify ourselves, trying to make it right in and of our own efforts and in and of ourselves, the more and more we find ourselves, we're guilty. The more and more we find ourselves, I just can't attain the standard that God desires of me. I just can't find the amount of righteousness within myself to obey his law to such a degree where I can finally come before him with clean hands and a clean heart saying, I am righteous. I'm justified. I've worked off all of the penalties of sin and guilt, and now I am standing before you and I'm righteous. Throughout the entire scriptures, we see men and women of God, one after another, a try and attempt to do this before God, and God continually comes back at them and says, it's not enough. It's not enough. You haven't worked off your sin. You haven't worked off your guilt. There's still this nagging insecurity of guilt remaining. And even in a culture today where we have displaced guilt and removed God from the entire equation, we still have this nagging within our soul that all of us remains guilty. All of us has this deep insecurity within us that says we're not living up to the standards even that we have set for ourselves. And this is why Romans chapter 3 is perhaps one of the glorious central chapters of the entire scriptures. The Apostle Paul, in chapters 1 through 3, has outlined the very reality that I've just described to you today. It doesn't matter if you're from a religious background or from an irreligious background. The Apostle Paul says, all of humanity, there's no distinction, religious or irreligious, they're all guilty before God. The irreligious people who just brush God by the side, they erect another standard, another idol, to try to live by, whether it's health or money or education or good things, they erect that and say, this is going to be the standard by which I live by. And they replace God with an idol, Paul says in Romans chapter 1. But in doing so, they find that they can't even live up to their own standards and their idols eventually let them down and they end up in a place of emptiness. And the religious who have the word of God, who've received the word of God, who know the law of God, who knows what God's standards are, who understand what God has said, who become a light to people, who, who believe that they're a light to people who don't know God and talk about God's standards, all of the, the religious people, but they still come before God and they realize, you know what, I've lied. You know what, I've harbored things inside of my heart, like, like lust that, that for, towards other people, that, that God says, you know what, that's not the way humans are supposed to operate. 
So even the religious people who have the law of God still understand that even within their soul, nothing that they can do can ever measure up or attain to the standard of righteousness that God has set before them. And Paul outlines this in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans to basically declare to all people, whether they're religious or irreligious, all of us before the standards of God's righteousness, we are all guilty. And this is his summarizing statement in chapter 3 verses at the end of verse 22 notice what he says for there is no distinction irreligious or religious there is no distinction verse 23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god this is the sweeping statement for all of humanity at all time under the reign of sin for all have fallen short whether Jew or Gentile, whether having the law or not having the law, whether you're religious or irreligious, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, if that's the case, how does one attain righteousness? How is one before a holy and righteous God who has given his law, how is one to be declared righteous before him? If we can't work it off in ourselves, how do we attain the standard of righteousness that, that God has outlined, verse 24, and are justified, there's that word, 24, are justified, not by works, are justified by his grace as a gift. By his grace as a gift. Notice, the pursuit of righteousness through your works is not attainable, but justification by grace as a, isn't attained as working it off, but as a gift. How does the, okay, if, that, if that's the case, if, if it's a gift that is given, who pays the price for all of the unrighteousness? Who pays the price for all of the sin of all of the people? Well, he, he explains at the end of verse 24, through the redemption. Remember from the first week in this series? Redemption means the purchasing, the price, the payment through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the man who came from God, who obeyed the law perfectly, who operated in, in light of God, in the light of God, and did everything that God had commanded him to do, he offered his life as a redemption for sinners like you and me, so that justification could come, righteousness could come by his grace as a gift. Well, if redemption has come from God as a gift through Jesus Christ and through the payment that Jesus Christ has made, well, maybe God is still mad at me. Like, have you ever had to bail out your kid and you, do, you pay the price for your kid, but still within you, you're like, man, but I'm still mad at him. I'll, I'll bail him out of jail, but he is not leaving his room for the rest of his life. Maybe if God bailed his people out as a gift, maybe he's still mad at me. No, it doesn't say that either. Look, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Some of your translations are wrong when they say sacrifice of atonement. No, I'm just kidding. They're not wrong. They're just nuanced. But propitiation is a clearer, a clearer definition of this word. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a, as a propitiation. Propitiation means the appeasement of wrath. It means God not only put forward Jesus Christ as a redemption, as a payment 
for sin so that we might be justified by grace, but he also put forward Jesus as a propitiation, as a wrath bearer, as the one who is to take the anger of God upon himself by his blood that would cleanse his people to be received by working it off in obedience, right? Nope, that's not what he says. To be received by faith. Throughout the whole book of Romans, Paul explains that there's a difference between trying to be justified by your own works, trying to work off your own sin, trying to be right by God before him by your works and by, and by faith. That's the two di distinct ways that people are tried to justify themselves, by their works, by their own obedience, or by their faith. What's the difference? W justification by works is you do it yourself. Justification by faith is you trust someone else to do it for you. You trust that there is a greater person who on my behalf will do what I could not do for myself, will obey where I have disobeyed, will give me the grace that I need because I can't attain it by my own works. Every single person who is a sports fan knows what justification by faith is. None of anybody who's a sports fan does the work themselves to win the game, right? They trust in the work of the players on the field, and they are either justified in victory or they are lost in defeat by faith, by trusting in those players that are playing the game. The same operative principle is at work in justification of faith. Justification by faith says, I am trusting in the one who will accomplish on my behalf what I could not accomplish on my own. I am not trusting in my own obedience. I'm not trusting in my own works. I'm trusting in the works of the other. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Verse 26, this doesn't seem fair. If the people get God's righteousness. If they're not punished, if God's not angry at them, and Jesus receives all of the punishment, Jesus receives all of the wrath, and we get all of the forgiveness, we get all of the grace, this just doesn't seem fair. But as he says, this was to show God's righteousness. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, right now, so that he might be just... He might be just, he's fair, he's punishing sin, he's not letting it be swept under the carpet. He's just by punishing sin on the cross, but he's also the justifier, the one who on the cross can declare people who participate in the cross through faith, can declare them righteous, can declare them justified. He is both the just and the justifier of the one who has placed their faith in Jesus. Jesus has this story in John, or excuse me, in Luke, chapter eighteen, where two men come to the come to the temple. One is a Pharisee. He stands before God, in front of everybody in the whole crowd, raises his hands to heaven, and he prays, "Thank you, God, that I'm not like those extortioners. I'm not like those." adulterers. I'm not like even this tax collector here. I obey your law. I give tithes of everything that I receive. And he stands there and he ends his prayer saying, man, I'm just such a great person. The second man, he stood far back. The text tells us he couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. He was a tax collector. 
And he, know, he knows before God that he himself is not justified, is not righteous. The text tells us he couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. It tells us that he stood in the back so that nobody would see him. It tells us, the text tells us that he beat his breast as he cried out, God, propitiate me, a sinner. That's it. That's all he could muster up in his soul to say before God. God, propitiate me. God, be merciful to me. God, forgive me, a sinner. As he beat his breast, that's the only thing that he could muster up. Jesus highlights this story to make the the summary conclusion. On that day, it was that man who walked home justified. This was to highlight the teaching. If you try to justify yourself by works before God, you stand condemned before him. Anyone who tries to exalt themselves, they will be humbled. But those who humbly come before God and seek justification, not by their own works, but by the work of another, they will go home justified. And brothers and sisters, as I look around this room, there is probably enough guilt here to flood the entire basin of the Great Basin. There's probably enough guilt in this room, whether it's for your own standards or the standards that God has put upon us in his law, to fill not only this entire sanctuary, but to overflow into the entire city of Reno. We carry guilt around with us like a disease. And if we enter into the sanctuary with God's people and we stand before one another and we sing praises to God, thanking God, thank you so much that I voted for the right person. God, thank you so much that I tithe to you. God, thank you so much that I, I, I budget my, my finances according to the way that you have prescribed. God, thank you so much that I raise my family to know you. And you go home with your experience of church being, I feel justified because everybody there puffs up my pride because our church all does the right thing. God would look over this church and he would say, you're condemned before even a word came out of your mouth. You're seeking justification through your own works and guess what? That does not work. But if we collectively come before God, like the tax collector, knowing that we have no right to stand before him, that we have nothing in and of ourselves to come before him and declare to him, God, I've got it going on pretty good. If we come before him like the tax collector, saying, God, don't be angry with me, a sinner, declaring to ourselves what God has declared to us, that that apart from his grace, we are condemned. If we justify ourselves by our works, we stand condemned. But like the tax collector, come before him underneath the cross, looking to Jesus by faith, saying, God, forgive me, a sinner. God, forgive me, I have not obeyed. God, forgive me, I haven't done what you have asked me to do. God, forgive me, I haven't lived the life that you have desired for me to live. God, forgive me, I haven't parented the way that you have desired for me to parent. God, forgive me, I haven't done the things that you have asked me to do. When we come before God through faith in the cross in that way, God declares to every single person who comes to him in that way and by, that, by those means, he declares Jesus justified. 
justified, justified, justified. Every single person who by faith comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, declares themselves to be a sinner, leans their entire life on his grace. God declares from heaven over your life, justified. And brothers and sisters, that's why we are here. We're not... We are not here to puff one, another, puff one another up in pride. We're not here to assuage the religious egos of the masses. We are here to declare justification by faith for sinners who need his grace. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> and I see I only have a minute and a half left. <laughs> If this is the reality of the way that we come before God, if this is the reality of the way that we come before God, and Paul teases out the logical conclusion of this, if, Paul, if this is the, the way in reality that we come before God, Paul even says it in the very next verse, what then becomes of our boasting? What do we have to brag about before God? What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Justification by faith is the glorious truth that we have nothing to boast about before him. It shuts our mouths. It opens our heart to receive his grace. And if stuff does come off of our lips, it's nothing but boasting and praising in the one who is both just and the justifier, who, declare, who declares people just by faith and not by their works. Brothers and sisters, I pray for every single person in this room to have a deep understanding of the gospel, that when you come before God, you bring nothing but your sin. And when you offer all of your sin to him, he takes it upon himself on the cross, and by faith in that cross, he gives you all of his righteousness, and he declares to you, you are righteous because of what my son has done. And I pray that that would be the reality in your soul this morning. I pray that that would be the collective reality in our, this body of Christ, this local congregation, so that we come before God pleading for his mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ on the cross. We thank you that we have nothing to boast or brag about before you but we only have our sin to give to you. God, we, we pray that we would attain this reality not by our works, but by faith and by trusting in you. That we would seek you not to boast in ourselves, but to experience the depth of the reality of your grace. God, we thank you so much that you don't declare people innocent or guilty on the basis of their works if they're in Christ. You declare them righteous on the basis of Christ's work for them. God, help us just collectively as a church to live out that reality, to experience that grace in our life and allow it to overflow into everything that we do, from parenting to budgeting to the way that we operate with one another, that we are a people that, is, that are justified freely and completely by grace. In Jesus' name, amen.